Welcome to Some Assembly Required, a bi-weekly design podcast where we discuss a range of topics from tech, industrial and product design, and sustainability. I'm Pablo Samoilis. And I'm George Wyeth. We're both product designers from the University of Sussex. Welcome back to season two of the show. Yes, this is episode two of Familiar Past. Last week, we discussed how the world around us is being redesigned in the new COVID world, and what elements of that will carry on beyond this pandemic. Be sure to check out that episode and all of our others that take your fancy after this. So, today we are discussing skeuomorphic design. Did I say that right? I mean, I don't really know. It's a hard word to say. I was spelling it wrong. It is an incredibly difficult word to say. So skeuomorphic design is its basically where a, a sort of interface, it's often digital, um, you know, mimics and kind of an aesthetic of a more familiar sort of real world product to make it more intuitive to the user when they're less familiar with that sort of system. Yeah, it's a, it's a slightly complex one to explain. It's a complex concept, but I think we're just going to mention one example right now. So if you've ever saved a document on a computer, you know what the save icon looks like. Now that save icon is a floppy disk. And a lot of the tools within word processing and PowerPoint and all that kind of thing feature these icons that are based on real old-fashioned either computer apparatus or typewriter apparatus. And the idea is back when they were a new technology, that was what people were comfortable with. It's what people understood. However, now it's the save icon. It's not been a floppy disk for a very long time. I've never used a floppy disk myself. I know what they are um, and I know kind of how they worked, but we're, we're both doing degrees and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so these things have been gone for a, quite a while now. So there are plenty of people growing up today that probably just don't even really know that that is a floppy disk. It's just a save icon. Yeah, absolutely. I think everyone born after like 95 probably has not used one. And even then, like after 2000, 2003, probably don't really know what they are. So it's very interesting that that has so lasted as the concept, but at this point it's become unanimous for what it is now. It's the save icon. So anyway, that's skeuomorphic design. And as we said, it's associated really with the digital design of user experience now. It's how everything on a 2D flat screen surface of someone's phone still makes sense and has a kind of tactile understanding in a world where everything else we interact with is physical. Yeah, and when it, when, yeah, as you said, when mobiles were, and electronic devices, not just mobiles, um, were first coming around, it was quite important because it was a completely foreign concept to their general customer base. So they needed a way for people to be able to pick it up and know what the different functions of the product were. Yeah, absolutely. That can be best related to like now when we're experiencing the onset of virtual reality, augmented reality, things having voice and kind of taptic controls through gestures. That's all so very new to us as a generation of people who've grown up with smartphones and tablets and laptops that the similar concepts are going to come across. We're going to see in augmented reality interfaces that don't represent like old style save icons and floppy disks, but interfaces that represent the iPhone, which is going to be really interesting. I'd like to see where we see this in 10 years. Yeah, I mean, we are, as I said, we are already seeing some sort of elements of 
skeuomorphism coming from the digital equivalents as you know as new digital technologies come through but yeah it, it could be interesting to see what sort of uh, designs and logos people come up with for these even more sort of futuristic feeling technologies so it you know started a while ago steve jobs was a proponent of it back in the 80s uh, when apple's user experience and user interface really started to take set so yeah it became a digital version of what we call affordances that's a design concept and it's a weird one it apparently so it came from um don norman who's quite a prolific sort of designer and design writer i suppose um and he came up with the term uh, for affordances for products it's basically it's a it's a hard one to kind of get your head around because it's it's not what a product can do it's the relationship between a product and the user basically so it's the sort of like what the product can do and what the user is able to do with it sort of thing yeah so affordances are a subset of the kind of topic and study of ergonomics now i think a lot of people see ergonomics and just think oh yeah that feels nice or fits your hand well but ergonomics is a lot broader than that as uh, george has learnt and i am currently discovering in my university career it you know goes both on the physical side of yeah these things work well and are efficient to the cognitive side of this feels right this makes sense so an affordance is generally a cognitive ergonomic and it's the idea yeah just something is clear enough to the point where it's obvious an example of that is the fact that fire alarms and light switches don't look the same but kind of do the same thing you know both a button mm. that presses something but it would be a f bad affordance if they were next to each other or looked the same it's a good affordance that one is scary and one is just easy and simple yeah i mean an even more like basic one example that i saw is is chairs the shape of them affords sitting on because oh yeah shaped. that's that's a lot lot simpler i mean as i said every product sort of kind of has an affordance so it's 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 a little bit confusing so this um skeuomorphism was sort of the digital equivalent of that well what's an example so i mean your emails or something like your your mailbox on your uh computer or your phone it's shaped like a letter um because you can't have it as a sort of box where you can see that it'll be filled up with letters um, or something like that. But you need to still signify to the user that it's something which is receiving messages. So a letter icon is generally the way to go. If you open your mail app, you'll see, you know, it's called an inbox and it looks like a kind of in tray that one would have in an office as, say, a secretary. And the icon of the mail app, at least on Macs, is a stamp. And the entire concept, all the terminology is based off of what was once skeuomorphism, but obviously has completely separated and become its own thing. And that's good when we talk about examples, because some skeuomorphic origins of things, so we talked about the floppy disk that's now become a save icon, but even the simplest concept of files and folders and like the bin on your computer being what they are, even that has come from the idea of an old, you know, office filing system. However, in a way, they've separated so much that that was only the origin of their naming at this point. So I guess it's a question, if this had not happened, if we hadn't had a skeuomorphic revolution into developing technology, would we call them files? What would we call them? Would the entire structure of how things are saved and organized on computers just be completely different? I mean, it could be. It's, it's hard to see how they could have physically done it without 
the sort of skeuomorphism because they needed a way to show these new users what it was actually doing um, because we're not all uh, computer scientists. But I don't know, I guess we would have always needed a way to organise files. We would have always needed a, to have files in the sort of digital version because it was replacing pieces of paper, I suppose. Um, but I don't know, it could have been called all sorts of things, but it just seems so logical. I, I would guess that the naming might have come from the kind of more tech computer side of it. So similar how people sometimes call their hard drive their C drive or their D drive from the way that DOS computers used to originally run. It could be a similar nomenclature where you have your drive and within your drive are your spaces and within your spaces are your formats, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I'm completely guessing, but obviously yeah. we are so used to using terms like document, file, folder, all of that. It's just so based on the history of skeuomorphism. Yeah, it just, it, it kind of was a necessity, I feel. Like it just, I'm sure it could have worked other ways and we would have just sort of got through it but the for people it, i mean it's hard for us to to remember because we weren't born when technology was just first appearing to know what it was like when oh, yeah. it was alien to us but yeah I, it's it, it had to have gone that way really yeah i think that that's a good point it had to have existed you can't have had such a revolution in technology without it existing but that also means that with some new technology we see today, we're going to see this happening live when something new and revolutionary comes out. Yeah, we probably will. I mean, actually, when so we've been we're talking here about um, mostly digital stuff, but this sort of has been happening throughout the entirety of sort of our sort of product history, I suppose. Um, like light fittings when they first went to electric a lot of light fittings were made to look like candles or candelabra sort of things because it was more familiar to people to know what it was. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of a thing it's, that has to happen because you can create a new product, but for people who have no idea about what this is to be able to see it and understand it, it needs to relate to them. Yeah, so essentially everything that is made that is new has to have some resemblance of something else in order for people to understand it. Otherwise, it won't succeed, basically. Mm. And I think, you know, you brought up light fittings. Another one that we've noted here is, you know, materials being made to look like older materials. So ceramics and wood fibers being made to look like just traditional wood. Those are all examples of skeuomorphism. Obviously, they're just very unlike the way it's usually discussed and handled and applied today. Yeah, it's sort of just, you know, finding a better material, but still wanting the aesthetic of the past. Yeah, as, you know, everyone's becoming more tech literate, tech is becoming a much more centralised part of everyone's lives. Obviously, it's been growing and growing and growing, but it's near universal at this point, even in the most kind of hard to reach rural communities of this earth like mobile data is still kind of a thing and because of that as technology evolves there is going to be a more universal reduction i guess of the need of things to look like physical objects yeah well this is this is sort of the thing is if, if we're all if we all understand a computer and a mobile phone we don't need it to look like some of the real world equivalents to understand it. 
I mean, it's just, if you just look at sort of children nowadays, um, like I have a 10 year old cousin, she can fly around an iPad so quickly because she just knows what everything is. But then, you know, my grandparents struggle because they're not used to it. Yeah, actually this, I just thought of this right now. I'm going to go on a tangent. Hope that's okay. But the designs of which geomorphism has grown from are probably almost all American and Western European in terms of shaping, filing, naming. So I wonder, this would be an interesting thing to look into, and I may well do this. How is it presented and represented in Eastern countries where, I mean, obviously like cameras, floppy disks, like technology was fairly universal, but the way things were understood wasn't. So I'd be interested to see how, as like the first computers became available in China, Japan, Korea, and so on, what were the iconography? Yeah, I'm not sure, actually. That is inter- that is kind of interesting, yeah, because there's so much of that sort of history of the way the people work that's different yeah. in Eastern cultures. Absolutely. Were they forced to struggle with, like, American floppy disks and that all that kind of design, or was it redone for them? We'll look into that and yeah, that's interesting. throw something up on our Instagram, at assemble.it. Quick plug. So, I mean... As I said, we're moving, you know, with these tech literate people um, that we are now, we're kind of moving to a place where we don't need as many old timey um, signifiers, but we've already kind of established that visual language. You know, we already have established that the phone icon on your smartphone looks like an old pickup phone or the, as I said, the mail inbox looks like a letter or a stamp, you know. And if those hmm. things changed, would it throw us? Because we're not used to it. I think we're going to be in a very interesting position in a number of years where certain icons, things, ideas are only remembered because of skeuomorphism and not because of what they actually are. Yeah, I mean, it's likely. As I said, like, even, like floppy disks, everyone is familiar with the look of a floppy disk. I don't think we would be. Like, personally, I probably would know what a floppy disk is. But I wouldn't be necessarily that familiar with it, like, instantaneously, if it wasn't for the save icon. That's very true. I'm thinking of, like, the old phone shape. You know, even landline phones today don't look like that. So that as, like, the next few generations come through and people who have used those disappears, that shape and iconography is only going to be known because of it being the phone icon. I do sort of wonder what technologies are going to... Or what, yeah, iconography is going to disappear, like... I'm just thinking now we've got, we're moving a lot to wireless technologies. Is there many sort of symbols that are based around the fact that something's hardwired, which could disappear? I think there probably were in the past, though at the same time, what skeuomorphism has given way to now, and this is kind of our next, the big topic of user experience and user interface is flat design. Now you'll have seen this on your phone. You'll have seen this on your laptop. Flat design has been the common thing basically since iOS 6 and Android 4, which I believe came out in 2013. So they were the last kind of skeuomorphic operating systems. And ever since then, it's been flat. And I think with that change, anything that represented something much more technically, as in the hard wiring, whatever, will have gone because the move was to simple, basic colors, visual aesthetic, vector design, making it sound really cool, but it's actually kind of boring because it's been the thing for like a decade now. This is the thing. I mean, the original skeuomorphic... So if you look up the sort of old, or if you remember the old look of iPhones when they first came around, 
and it looks it looks so dated because of how it it looks it almost looks weird to us now like if you look at it up where all the app icons almost have this sort of really hard bevel to them where they almost look like they're sticking out the screen and obviously originally that was because it was made to look like a physical button that you could click whereas now we know that those tiles on our home screens are apps and buttons that we can click on so it's more about signifying what it that app does so as i said yeah the the phone app is now just that sort of logo sort of vector logo mm. What was your favourite old Apple icon or just app icon? My favourite one. Um, I mean, I quite, I kind of quite liked the the Notes app in a way. I mean, I didn't, yeah, the colours so are weird. It's quite similar to what it is now though. Yeah, I suppose it is actually. But mm. it's, it's just a way that it's an actual notepad, I suppose. Yeah. Mine by far was Instagram. And actually, as of a recent update, you can now change your Instagram icon to be one of the old ones. Oh, yeah, I forgot about all those changes. The YouTube one always... Yeah, the old YouTube one. That was a classic. That was hideous. If any of you want to try these out for yourself, go ahead, open Instagram, hit on your little profile in the bottom right, and then hit the hamburger menu in the top right, which is the three lines. Go to settings. And if you swipe up, you'll see a number of emojis and then eventually a little celebration confetti. And it gives you some icon choices. And one of them, well, actually three of them are the very old Instagram icons from 2010, end of 2010 and 2011. I did not know you could do this. This is really cool. Yeah, there you go. So you can tap any of those and it'll just change your app icon. So I've had mine set to the 2011 one for a while now. And I do miss it. The 2011 one is nice because, you know, Instagram obviously comes from that, the sort of Insta, I say Instamax sort of cameras. Yeah, the, the Instamax cameras. Yeah. And it is literally that camera in a sort yeah. of more cartoony form. It's a very nice icon. Anyway, so you can all do that. Obviously, obviously, Facebook has a tendency to change their user interface. So if the instructions I gave are wrong, I'm sorry. But yeah, it looks nice. It does look cool. Because obviously with Instagram, again, this sort of ties back into it a little bit. That was originally set up to look a bit like your Polaroid picture that you'd get out of your Instamax camera. Because you've got the square picture with the white bit below where you can write down what the sort of caption of the image is. Give it a cute caption, which is exactly why Instagram posts have captions. Fun fact. It's, uh, again, familiarity to the old ways. So talking about the old ways and change, Apple decided in 2019 to announce, and I don't really know why they did do this, that skeuomorphism was officially dead. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. Sure, they did sort of really push it into the limelight i suppose back in the 80s 90s noughties when their products were you know top of the tech pile um but i don't really see why they're in their right to just not decide that that's dead sure it's coming and going but it's an interesting move i don't think it necessarily means much but within apple yeah it's dead it's gone but they also don't have control over what it is. And I think one of the things that stands out the most is music software. So if you've ever used any kind of recording, producing music software, it is the most skeuomorphic thing possible because it almost looks as if they've taken pictures of guitar amps and physical things and just like animated the buttons. Yeah, I mean, even some of them, you can like pick and choose what amp you have. 
Like, is it yeah. Fender one you, or is it? I can't think of any other brands, but yeah, you you pick the designs. You literally twist the buttons by like holding the mouse and we and moving it in the kind of arc of the button. It's not intuitive. Well, sorry, it is intuitive. What it isn't is efficient. It's a pain in the ass to get yeah quick adjustments. I, but, I really don't you know. like using digital knobs. Like they're just annoying to get the right point because they're really bad the way they work in real life means they have a sort of click to them like where you click around each sort of stage and you can feel that tactility you don't get that on a computer when you're dragging it with a mouse no and they've tried with haptics i don't know if you've tried adjusting a digital knob on your laptop the haptics feel quite cool it still doesn't have it yeah it's nice but anyway so that's the place where it seems to exist and i was just talking to my flatmate about this james he's into music he's into guitar and apparently in production studios, they often have screens like horizontally on the desk with all the different plugins and interfaces on them. So literally, depending on what your guitar, amp, whatever is physically plugged into, you get that interface there, which is why it's quite skeuomorphic is because you could be adjusting a real physical object and watch the same thing happen digitally and vice versa. That does make a so lot of So that's where sense. it comes from. And it makes a lot of sense there. However, all the consumer level software has that same thing and it's not as if it's an option turn it on turn it off it just is it's one of those things where i never studied music i like music um and i've sort of looked at those softwares before and personally i am confused because to me who doesn't understand the physical music infrastructure but i understand digital sort of signifiers that is so foreign to me i completely get that it's not intuitive it's not easy to control but it is very cool yeah like that could be my desktop background yeah i think there's even some software where you can i'm not i'm not quite sure how it works because i don't understand the music side of things but you can see like the back of the machines where there's all the wires going around like that is unnecessary completely unnecessary on a on a computer software but people understand how that works it's cool it is quite cool. It does look very... I think the cool factor is important. And I think the cool factor is what has brought rise to the term neomorphism. Are we saying that right? Apparently it's a merge of the words new and skeuomorphism. So neomorphism... The new... Neomorphism? Yeah, something uh, like that. Something like that. It's a recent progression. This, this is a very new idea. I think very little on it has been done because for the most part, you don't see it in any kind of published, productive tech thing. No, it's, I think it's the term only really came about like end of last year, start of this year. And yes, it's still a sort of thing that designers are playing around with, but it's not really reached out into the general user population. Yet. Yeah, I really like it. I think it looks great. So basically it's flat designs being boring. We know that it's good and pretty, but it's everyone does it now. So it's adding a little bit of 3D depth, adding elements of skeuomorphism in the sense that it gives things tactility. However, it doesn't restrict you to being using the foundation of some old technology that otherwise, you know, doesn't really make sense to you. So mm-hmm. a good example of this is macOS Big Sur, which is the next macOS installment that'll be out in a month or two. Unclear. Could be out when you're listening to this. But macOS Big Sur kind of takes a hint of neomorphism. Not really. Like, it's not there yet. It's not neomorphic. I wouldn't d- describe it as neomorphic. But you can tell it's the direction they're going. And it's definitely not skeuomorphic because it's dead, according to Apple. Yeah, skeuomorphism dead, <laughs> as, they've, as they've clarified. Sorry, if you were planning on using it, you can't anymore. Apple it's have dead. said so. But 
they are going in that direction. And I am fascinated mm. because a lot of the response to how it looks has been really negative. However, I quite like it. And I'm wondering what it'll be. I've seen a few pictures of it, mostly concepts, because it's not really out there yet. And I've seen concepts of sort of like audio players. So you like a music app um, where it shows more of the sort of where, the, where you'd have your album artwork. It's got more of a disc to it, sort of like disc shape. Um, and is almost made to look like you've got the sort of disc on there. But it's not in that same way where you used to have very old ones that would have it looked like a disc was there and spinning. Exactly, yeah. It's not It's not like that old, but it's, you know, the idea. Mm. And as I said, because we all are becoming more tech literate, it's a bit easier for them to go with this route and have a bit more, I suppose, a bit more creative freedom with it because they, as long as they're including the digital elements that we understand, they don't need to be including the old physical elements, but they can if they want to, because we still understand that as well. Exactly. And I think that's the key distinction. It's not restricting yourself to a physical element so people get it. It's taking the creativity and the design of the physical elements, because after all, it's a full 3D space that we've lived within for centuries, and applying that to the digital of today. And I think it looks fantastic. Yeah, we'll post some pictures of all of these sort of different styles uh, on our Instagram, so you can go and have a look. We will that. indeed. You can take a look at some visuals. This is quite a visual episode, this one, really. So that's Neomorphism, and I think that also kind of rounds out this whole conversation of where it came from, where it's going. Where did it come from, Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> I didn't say that, but you did. <laughs> Sorry, I can help myself. Anyway, so that's Skeomorphism, Flat Design, Neomorphism, I'm fascinated to see where future technology lies on that scale. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, uh, you know, you mentioned VR earlier. I've not really used VR myself. I guess in a way, VR is removing the need for a screen because your entire vision is your screen. So you don't need to have things in the more conventional positions, like having closed symbols in the top left or right of a sort of application. Yeah, they can be anywhere mm. or so, yeah. nowhere and you get stuck or in nowhere. VR forever. Yeah, isn't that the isn't that an anime? I don't know. It sounds like a Black Mirror episode. It does. I'm pretty sure there's an anime that's is along those sort of lines of being, everyone being stuck in a virtual world. Uh, oh, it's Sword Art Online. I've not really watched it, but I have a mate who likes it. I've heard of it. There I've not watched it. Anime is not my thing. However, no, you know what is my thing? Subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so that you never miss an episode. Nice, beautiful segue. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends, family, co-workers, and your Tamagotchi. I had to Google that. <laughs> I We were talking about retro things this episode, and I remembered Tamagotchis, so it went in the dog. Yeah, share it with your Tamagotchi. If you have a Tamagotchi as well, they'd love it. Yeah, if you had one, let us know. I They seem cool. Kind of sad I missed out oh, on that right. bit. Anyway, unlike videos and blogs, podcasts don't have an algorithm, so we rely on you and your word of mouth telling other people. Yes, we do. So follow us on Instagram as well, at assemble.it, for a deeper look into the show and our own work, including behind-the-scenes, outtakes, projects, and updates. And as I said, we're going to be posting a few things about this episode online uh, because of the visual nature of this episode. So look out for We that. absolutely will. Once more, remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it among your friends and all those lot, including your Tamagotchi. We'll see you in two weeks with our next episode. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.
Some Assembly Required is co-hosted and produced by Pablo Samoilis and George Wyeth and edited by George Wyeth. Music is by Mikey Burtwistle. This is a 7-6 podcasting production.